just by a, a show of hands. How many of you know who that was? Okay. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to tell you why it's important. Who that guy is. Ties in. And I had no idea uh, what Matt was going to say to us. Give you a hint. His name is Matt. That's Matt Arnold. Matt and Star Arnold are one of our missionaries with Ethnos 360. So every time you get to this church, you're supporting what they do. And I met Matt and Star, gosh, 25 years ago, maybe longer. The parents, the Arnolds, were going to church here then. And we met Matt and Star, and they uh, shortly thereafter became one of our missionaries. And they've become like heroes to me because they are young not so young anymore, looking at his beard. Then they were young, sharp, intelligent. Uh, he was a graduate of Ohio State and is still giving grief about that. And uh, I don't say anything this year, but uh, other times. He loves Ohio State, and they could have done anything with their lives that they wanted to do and have been very, very successful. And they chose to go to a place called Tepewan, Mexico, and minister to the, the place called Baboragami with the Tepewan Indians and minister to them and have been uh, where we take our trips to Ethnos 360 in Roach, Missouri. That's the headquarters, and, and Matt kind of runs everything. But now they're back down in Baboragami. Uh, Stars had some health issues that kept her from being down there for a while. Uh, their son and, and his wife and their kids, they're also the same thing, young. And they've chosen to go into ministry, missionary work with Ethnos 360. And it thrills me to no end to know that we're part of what they do. We're part of what Ron and, and Shireen do with Solid Rock and, and Eternal Bread and all of our missionaries, that we get to be part of that. If you'll notice the top of your handout today, it says gratitude and fellowship. You turn to Colossians chapter 1, we're going to start... In verse 2, if you haven't been there already or not there already, why is this important? Transitioning out of Thanksgiving and into the, the holiday season, and one of the words that you will hear all the time is grateful, gratitude, and gifts, and, and giving to others, and all of those things. For us as believers, one of the things that what I want to share with you in my heart today is the gratitude that I, as a pastor, as an elder, as a fellow believer, whether it's with Matt and Star, many of you, even by your show of hands earlier, don't even, didn't even know that was Matt Arnold, one of our missionaries. But you are a vital part of what they do by giving and by praying for them. It's important. Even as total strangers, somebody you may never see, on planet earth we get to be part of what they're doing for eternity we recently i don't know if it was in the last couple of years they finally got a translation of the new testament and some of psalms a little bit of the old testament into the tepewan language they started in 1979 how hard it was to finally get a translation of and i have a copy of the tepewan new testament we've got one here and that they now can, and they've seen some fruit. Think about that. Years and years and years of laboring. It's kind of like the prophet Jeremiah. 50 years. 
far as we could tell, 50 years, he stood up and said, thus saith the Lord, and had not one positive response. He wouldn't make it on too many church staffs today, would he? Jesus, at the end of his life, if you, you, know, if you think about numbers and all those things, Jesus, at the end of his life, as he goes to the cross and he's hanging there dying for our sins, did he have a huge following? Nope. We do matters. So what I want you to hear today from God's word and from my heart is the gratitude that we should have for each other in this fellowship. The word fellowship is used all the time in churches. does not mean getting together and eating chicken. Even though that's fun. I like chicken. You could probably tell. And I love, I love people, total strangers. Uh, we've been joking about it. Mary and I go to Walmart in Oakland, and every time we go in there, I end up with a new job. Just because uh, some of you have heard this story. I'll tell it quickly, I promise, and we'll move on. So we go to Walmart in Oakland every couple of weeks, get groceries, and take out a loan before we go. We spent $500 this week. So anyway, we go to Walmart in Oakland, and... So we walk in there, and I pull out a basket, and I take the antiseptic wipes, and I wipe it down, and I had it all clean, ready to go, and I roll it to the side, and Mary was coming in the door. So I cleaned the basket, and I rolled it to the side, and this guy walked in front of Mary, and he took the basket and just kept going. And I started to say, whoa, whoa, and then I said, you know, this is my new ministry. I'm going to be a basket wiper. <laughs> so I just start wiping off baskets and giving them to people when they came in. Finally, Mary said, could I have one of those, sir? And we moved on. So the next time we went, that was about a month ago. Next time we went, we're over in the meat aisle. That's the last thing you did. We get meat, and we're going to leave. Mary says, I need two of those bags, and we get some chicken and ground beef. Give me two of those bags and open them, and we'll go. So I'm standing here. I'm opening one of the bags. There's a lady, like, right there, and she goes, she's staring at me. And I'm thinking, why is she staring at me? I said, oh, never mind. I know why. Anyway, she's staring at me. And finally she says, how do you do that? And I had no idea what she was talking about. She says, how do you do that? And I said, well, it's just a gift. I didn't even know what she was asking me. I said, it's just a gift. And she goes, how do you get those bags open? She said, I can't get it open. So I said, here, you take this one that I've already opened, and, and you take this one, and I'll open another one for her. And then I had a new job. I'm now bag opener. So we went Saturday or Friday, whenever we went, and I told Mary, you have to understand, my wife is not as extroverted as I am. She tends to be introverted, like keep your mouth shut and quit talking to total strangers. I can't do it. So I was walking in the door Friday, and I said, so what do you think my new job is going to be today? She said, your job today is to do exactly what I tell you. And let's get out of here rather than spending the two hours you normally spend because you're talking to everybody. Had somebody come up here, total, I didn't, they were total strangers to me, but they knew me for some reason. And I hear, hey, Randy. I said, Mary, do you want me to respond or, or, keep, <laughs> or keep going? So, all right, turn to Colossians chapter 1. I want to share how special this is for us as the body of Christ. More specifically as a local church called Christ Church. No matter which campus, the fellowship, the things we share, the word literally means getting together. <laughs> no, it doesn't mean getting together. Eating the word literally means what we share in common. Whether you know, you don't know Matt Arnold, but you share very 
important things with Matt and Star Arnold. What we as believers share with other believers around the world because of our relationship to God through Jesus the Christ. Our culture celebrates him this time of year, and I don't even know why. You know what the beauty of that is? We have the opportunity to tell them why. Who Jesus the Christ really is. So what's the context of Colossians 1? Start with me in verse 3. Paul and Timothy is with him. Paul writes these words. We, Paul and Timothy, we give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. That is the key phrase in everything we're going to talk about today. Praying always for you. Since we heard of you, we, we pray for you always, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, that's just believers, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you, as it is also in all the world, and it's bringing forth fruit, as it is also among you, since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learned from Epaphras, my dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ, on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. Here's the context. Epaphras, who Paul mentions there, is the pastor of the church at Colossae. And he writes to Paul, sharing, without going into great detail, he's sharing with Paul. He loves his people. You see it there. Epaphras is a dear fellow servant to Paul, and he's a real minister to his people, his sheep at Colossae. He loves them. But they had a lot of false teachers, specifically Gnosticism, was coming into their church. That false teaching, which talked about having this higher power that you could get from these spirits and that only certain people could get it. And that false teaching was beginning to damage the church at Colossae. And so he writes to Paul, sends a message to Paul. Would you please pray for us? Now, Paul doesn't. Here's the key to understand the context here. Paul does not know these people. Now, the church at Philippi, Paul knew them well. He had started that church. He had led many of them to the Lord. And he really, he, he called Philippians by joy and crown. He loved those people. He knew them. They, were, they weren't just belief, fellow believers. They were friends. And fruit that he had borne, most of them. He does not know these people at Colossae. But notice what he says. I'm praying for you always. And I'm so excited about how you born fruit for the Lord. You are bearing fruit. You love the Lord. And Epaphras has reported to me. We're going to see here in a moment how that works out. Epaphras has reported to me things you're struggling with, specifically these Gnostics and their false teaching. And I want you to know that I'm praying for you. And what we're going to look at today is what is he praying for them? He's grateful for them. The fellowship, what we share in common because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the phrase there at the end of verse 6. You heard and you knew the grace of God in what? Um, hello? Hello? In what? What's the last word of verse 6? Hey, let's make sure y'all have Bibles. Verse 6. In truth. One of the most important principles and doctrines you can ever learn is that Jesus Christ is the truth. I'm the way, truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. Now, he can't say that unless he's God, or he's a liar, or he's a charlatan. 
So anything, what Paul was saying to them, and he says throughout his epistles, you've got to know what God says. You've got to know the truth. If you don't know the truth, how are you going to refute ever? You've probably heard it many times, but in, in the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, when they want to teach their agents how to know counterfeit money from real money, how do they do it? How much time did they spend with counterfeit money? None. All their training, every bit of it is they become so convinced and it's part of their DNA what a real $100 bill looks like that when they see a counterfeit, it's like, boop, boop, boop. That ain't real. So those of you that are passing fake $100 bills, be careful. They spend all their time learning the truth. You know how you as a believer are going to be able to know error when you hear it? you got to know the truth. You can't just know it here. You can't just go to a lot of Bible studies and learn the, you know, that's what the Bible, you know, Bible, listen, I'm big into Bible study. Those of you who've been around, you know that. I love studying the Word of God. There are times I'll sit at my desk at home, and I, I, told, I ran into a kid this week who does rebinding of Bibles. I said, you need to come by my house and look at what I got and see if it can even be rebound. I've been using it since 1985. And it just, you open it a certain, like you want to see 1 Corinthians 15, you just pull that out and hand it to somebody because it ain't staying in the Bible. It just, every time I open it, it just falls. So I never, it never leaves my desk. I just leave it there and I use other Bibles to preach with or, or something else. It never leaves my desk. It's got all kinds of cool notes in it, things I've found over the years and I use and, and things that matter. And I write in the margins that that word means this, that kind of thing. And I sat down before and didn't even realize that I was doing it. I would sit down to like work on a sermon or, or a class or, or just studying something, preparing for the future, and I look up and seven hours have gone by. My legs won't work, and I don't know where my rear end is even attached anymore. It's so numb. But man, I love spending time in the Bible. Now, does that make me more spiritual than you? No. But the capacity for any of us to be what God wants us to be comes back to, do you know the truth? And the word of God is the truth. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life, they had to use a little term called the definite article, which means there ain't no more. That's my translation. There's only one of these, and I'm it. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. I am forevermore. Before Abraham was, I am. All Those things should excite you when you hear them and encourage you and remind you that what we share in fellowship, what we share in common as believers matters and be grateful for it. I'm grateful for you because you have gifts that I don't have and you have talents that I don't have. I use my gifts on your behalf and you use your gifts on my behalf. That's why Paul called it a body and said every part is necessary. Now some of us that are up front get more notice. Paul said the most important was the ones you don't see. I could give you example after example in our church over the years. Many of you are here remember sweet little Debbie Maxey. We would have had no prayer ministry in this church had it not been for Debbie Maxey. And Debbie Maxey could not walk. Couldn't do anything without help. And back then we didn't have social media and email and all the different ways to communicate. If we had a prayer need, we called Debbie and she took care of it. Over the telephone. She had a list of people she called. They called. It worked. And I remember doing her funeral. And I still remember saying Watching Debbie Maxey, I learned what prayer was like. Watching my mother-in-law, 
I learned what prayer was about. You know, as a preacher, you think you should know those things. I saw it manifested in the lives of those two women, especially. And I realized, I don't pray like that. My mother-in-law told me one time she had like what 850 great-grandchildren. I think they had 82 great-grandchildren, if I'm not mistaken. We had a, a family reunion one time. It was 150 of us that were at that family reunion. And I noticed she had this little book, and every morning she would be in her book. And I said, Mama, what are you doing? She goes, this is my little prayer book. And she says, I pray for every one of you by name every morning. Lord God, that's 150 people. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I learned something from her. This woman who had an eighth grade education, had to take over her family at 14 and be the one who ran the family at 14. Now, I met her 53, 52 years ago. We started dating her daughter, watching her for years and years till she passed away. I never saw her lose her cool. She got mad at me one time when I did something stupid. Somebody needed to get in my face. She did. In a gentle, respectful way, she explained to me I was wrong. When you were around her, you knew she exuded Jesus Christ. She didn't have any education, training. She just loved Jesus, and she loved the Bible. It was part of her DNA. That's what Paul was excited about with these people. Epaphras loved them. Their dear fellow servant with Paul and their dear minister. And Paul wanted them to know, I'm gonna, and he's writing to them to encourage them and to challenge them, to comfort them. Look at verse 9. For this reason, the report I got from Epaphras about you, not... I want to write to you. So Paul says, for this reason, we, Paul and Timothy, also, since the day we heard it, we do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. We pray for you without ceasing. He wrote to the church at Thessalonica, pray without ceasing. He wrote to Timothy, I exhort, first of all, number one priority, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. He wrote to the church at Corinth, if you, you also helping together in prayer for us, that thanks may be given to them to, by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. He wrote to the church at Ephesus, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Prayer was a big part of, part of Paul's life. He wrote a lot about it. What I love about studying the life of the Apostle Paul, that's one of the reasons I love the book of Philippians so much. The theme of that book is rejoice all the time, no matter what you're going through. He had a hard, hard life as a believer. And even begging God to remove his thorn in the flesh, and God said no. My grace is sufficient. And so Paul said, okay, when I'm weak, I'm strong. Prayed. He loved these people. Didn't know them. He prayed for them, and he appreciated them. So look at number one on your handout. We're going to quickly go through this. The intro is the sermon. Notice what he prays for them. Number one, they're on the handout. His prayer of gratitude for them. So the first thing he prays for them in verse 9 is you're filled with the knowledge of God's will. Number one priority in prayer. This had to be essential in their lives in specific 
context, but also in ours, applicably. That you're filled with the knowledge of God's will. They needed it because of the barrage of false teaching that was coming into their church. If you don't think there's a barrage of false teaching in America today, you ain't paying attention. It is everywhere. You get these good-looking guys behind pulpits, and they got all kinds of money, and they're lying to people. The only way you're going to know is you've got to know what the Bible says. So when someone says to you something that is not true, you will immediately know it, like the counterfeit thing. Wait a minute, that's not right. That's not what God's word says. When a guy stands up and says, God just told me, I'll personally witness this. God, from a preacher who has a huge following in the United States of America and really around the world, he stood up and said, God just told me, just like I'm doing it now. God just told me that he's going to kill every homosexual in America this year by fire. And you know what the crowd did? They roared and cheered that God was going to do that because that's where he had led them. I personally witnessed here in Memphis, Tennessee, a guy from a church here in this town, I mentioned it, you would know it, stand up and have, they were getting ready to do the offering and he's getting them ready before they pass the buckets. And he said, God has told us tonight that, <laughs> and I remember because Chris was there and Chris said something funny like he always does. God has told us tonight, if you give, Everything that you've got in your bank account, you'll be out of debt in six months. And there were people just writing checks, like sweet lady next to me. Of course, I was very young when I, this was, a, the Mid-South Coliseum was still in use. That's how long ago it was. Lady next to me is writing a check. I said, man, what are you doing? She said, I'm cleaning out my checking account so I can be out of my, get rid of my mortgage in six months. I said, do me a favor, please don't do that. Please don't do that. She did. You think she was the only one that did that night? No, of course not. You got to know the truth. You got to know the truth. <laughs> because if you don't know the truth, you can be misled by error. There's a reason the Bible says God, that Satan's ministers disguise themselves as angels. Satan's angels disguise themselves as ministers of righteousness. Just because a guy stands behind a pulpit and holds up a Bible when he looks good, I can stand behind a pulpit and hold up a Bible and the third one I'm worrying about. Does not mean that what he speaks or she speaks is the truth. You have to know. And that's what, so Paul, everything begins with this statement and everything else we're going to talk about today flows from this statement. Filled with the knowledge, <coughs> pardon me, of God's will. Everything else flows from that. The word filled here in verse 9 means you are satiated with it completely, totally. It just, you're absorbed. It's kind of like taking, when you're talking about dying something, you would take a D-Y-E. Take something and you want to dye it. You would dip it in there, soak it, so when it came out it was just totally absorbed. That's the word. Filled, satiated, that every part of your being is about truth and God's will. God will never tell you something in your spirit, your mind, or through another person that contradicts the word of God and it be from God. If he did, he would be two-faced. And God is certainly anything but two-faced and a liar. So he's never going to contradict his word. And so you've got to know what his word says. Sounds simple, 
but it's true. So the idea of God's will is, it's got to begin in my life. Paul's praying it. We're praying it for each other. I want you to pray it for me. You need to pray for our elders. We beg all the time for your prayers. That we'd be right in the middle and we know God's will. So number one, it begins with, you've got to desire it. Do I really want God's will? Because what if God's will is something I don't want? Uh-oh. Then what am I going to do? It all begins with, do I really desire the will of God? Or, which by the way, there are many of our brethren today that preach this. Or, do I want God just to come in and bless what I want his will to be? I, I don't claim something and then God does it. I beg God to show me what I need to do and then I do it. Because Randy makes mistakes. I know you don't believe that, but Mary will be here later to hold forth. I'm not perfect. I'm selfish. God, however, is perfect. Always the perfect father. Always giving in love. Always giving me only what's best. Not what I want. You know why God chose, this is my opinion, so you can throw this away when you leave. You know why I believe God picked metaphorically in scripture for us to refer to him as father rather than the big guy in the sky or the man upstairs? You know why I think he chose father? Because it's something we understand intimately. We are parents, most of us. If not, we had parents, so we wouldn't be here. We understand parenthood. We understand being a father. We understand being a mother. Some of you had, tr your earthly fathers were tremendous. Are, are tremendous. Some of us had a struggle with our earthly fathers. I did. I was never close to my father until the end of his life. The last year and a half of his life. Because he was dying of Lou Gehrig's disease. Prior to that, we did not have a good relationship. But God says, I'll show you what a real father is. So I can never be, go wrong seeking the will of my heavenly father because it's always perfect. It's always what I need. Even if I'm choosing between two good things, I need to know, God, what do you want? And I'd really like this, but what do you want? And if this is what you want, that's what I'll do. I still remember when John called me in 1984. And said, we need, we're looking for a youth, they used the term youth director back then. We're looking for a youth director for our church. And Jimmy, his brother, said, you might want to talk to Randy. And, and I had felt, I had told Mary a year before, he told his brother, that I really feel like that God wants me in the ministry. And then his brother looked at me and said, well, there's no room for you here at our church. He said, we just don't have room for you here. And I said, my, you know what my mindset was? Be total transparency and honesty. I said, well, when I go to Jimmy and tell him that I want to be in the ministry, they're going to hire me in a heartbeat because they'd be lucky to have me. That was what I thought. And, man, he said, we don't have a place for you here. It was devastating to me. I was thinking, then I thought, okay, that's your problem. I didn't do anything for a year. I just kept serving in that church and working. I had two little girls. I wasn't going to seminary. I couldn't afford that. I had, I had, I had a job. I traveled a little bit and had two little girls. had a family. So I just kept serving in the student ministry, youth ministry at Central Church. And a year later, John called and said, we're looking for somebody. And I thought, hmm. So it took God a year to get it together. That's all right. That's okay. <laughs> it took a year to get through to Brother John. 
But it was not an easy decision, even though I, I, I went to tell Mary, and she goes, well, it's about time you did something for me. But I left a, a, a free car and expense account and bonuses, going to work for a fledgling little church in the storefront at Yale and Austin P. or Austin P. and stage. But I knew it was what God wanted me to do because my heart, and this is not because Randy's some spiritual giant. It's because all I wanted to do was what God wanted me to do. And I'm telling you, now is a, I'll be 69 years old next month. All I want to do with my life is what God wants me to do. Just show me what it is, and I'll do it. That's what Paul's praying for them. That's what we pray for each other, to just be satiated with the will of God. As he reveals it in Scripture. Secondly, look at verse 9. Filled with God's will, the knowledge of his will in wisdom and spiritual understanding. How do you get this knowledge? Number one, through spiritual wisdom. That means you simply apply the truth you learn. In other words, you go to the scripture, you study the scripture, you find out what it says. I loved when we were doing all the precept Bible studies when I went to their training. The one thing that just I never, I'll never forget is as they were training us to teach their studies, it taught me a principle that, I, that I'll never forget. It's meant so much to me in all, all these years. When you study the Bible, you're doing three things. You observe the text, you interpret the text, and you apply the text. And if you do not apply the text, you might as well flush the first two. They're of no use. God is not interested in how smart you are. I appreciate that. What he's interested in is, are you going to do what I tell you to do in my word? You learn it, you apply it. It means it becomes part of you. And you make your decisions based on what would God want me to do in this situation or in this relationship concerning this thing. Filled with spiritual wisdom. Wisdom simply seeing things the way God sees them and acting upon it that way. James chapter 1, the Bible says, if anybody lacks wisdom, ask God. Pretty smart, isn't it? Ask God, and he'll give generously to all. If you're seeking him sincerely, you got no sin motivation, you ask. Seek God. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, our ministry is not according to the wisdom of man, but in the demonstration of the spirit and power. The word all, little word all that's used there in verse 9. All knowledge, it's used 32 times in the book of Colossians. Because what they were struggling with as a church was false knowledge that was coming in and eating away at the fabric of the church. So Paul says over and over, 32 times, all knowledge. Get it what God wants for you. It's all about truth. The Bible has this focus. You learn the absolutes, teach the absolutes that are taught in Scripture, and that's the foundation of a godly life. Learn the absolutes and live the absolutes, and you'll be focused on truth. The book of Hosea, great prophet. You will know this statement when I speak it, even though you may not know it's from Hosea. Here's the phrase. From Hosea. 
And by the way, as he's writing this, he's speaking to the leaders of Israel. The leaders. He says to them, God says, My people, the children of Israel, they are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you leaders have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being a priest for me. That's pretty strong language. Here's what God's saying. I put you in a position to lead my people, and they're dying. Because you're not giving them knowledge. You might be giving them a great show. In our culture today, it's such a big deal in church. But you're not giving them knowledge. They don't have knowledge, they're going to perish. The culture will eat them alive. I think about my granddaughter and my grandson next year. They're 18, going to be heading off to college. College was hard when I was in it in 1972, if you were a Christian. You were bombarded with how stupid you were. That's when I discovered, started reading people like Francis Schaeffer to find out C.S. Lewis. What do I believe? Why do I believe it? I mean, just believe it because Jimmy Latimer told me to. Uh, you know, he was impressive as a speaker. And I got saved. And then I hit college, and it was like, how many of you? I mean, we would go into classes at the University of Memphis, and they would ask, how many of you are born-again Christians? What, what am I doing at that point, knowing my personality? Yo, I'm one of them. And then they would just start to laugh at you. These are professors. Today, culturally, and it's not just in college, by the way, it's in middle school and high school. That the absolutes of Scripture don't matter. What matters is what you want. By the way, go back to the Garden of Eden. What mattered to Adam and Eve? What I want. Sin is sin. It's not trusting God. That's all Adam and Eve did. They didn't trust, they didn't love God, didn't trust Him, so they did what they wanted to do. Satan, by the way, is Satan good at what he does? They lived in a really nice place. And he was able to convince them God's not being fair to you. Wow. You got to know the truth. Because if you don't, culture will eat you alive. You got to decide truth is for me. If you don't know it, you got to pursue it. If you're a believer, you got to pursue it with all your being. Second thing he prays for in verse 10. That you walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Notice the things he listed. This is all part of how he's praying for them, to be in God's will. Fully pleasing God, walking worthy. And that simply means how you're living every single day. What's your philosophy of life? What's your impact on people around you? Does it please God? How do people who know you, not just a stranger that met you, but people that know you, What's their perception of you? He doesn't just say he's a Christian. He kind of acts like it. He lives it. To use old terms, he practices what he preaches. He doesn't just talk about it. It's important to him. That's why my favorite verse in the Bible is Philippians 1.21. For me to live is Christ. Think about it that way. Even if you're not a Christian, and I've, done, I've shared this with non-believers and, and witnessing, just talking about things. And I said, let's say you don't believe the Bible, you don't believe in, in, in that you need to be saved and all those things, that it's all going to work out in the end. Kumbaya, okay. Let's say that's who you are. Is our culture, is everything going well in our culture? No. Well, let's start a brand new culture. Let's flush this one, and let's start over and, and base our culture on one principle and one alone. 
Treat people the way you'd like to be treated. Who said that, by the way? A man named Jesus of Nazareth said it. And he said a lot of other cool things. Now, again, even if you don't believe he's God, and you don't believe that you've got to be saved, if we built a culture based on the statements and the principles taught by a guy named Jesus of Nazareth, what kind of culture would we have? Paradise. That's the point. You've got to know. It's got to be important to you that people are impacted by who you are, even if you're not necessarily sharing the gospel in the moment, that you're loving them, seeking the opportunity. I shared in Arlington a couple of weeks ago, or last week, I can't remember when, about this young man. He, sometimes he just comes up on Sunday mornings, he wants coffee, and, and he, he, does, you know, he looks homeless. He's always in camo, and he looks kind of scary. And so I think, I think it was last Sunday he shows up about 8.30 and, and Peter Simons was the only one there and, and uh, he's wanting to get in the building because he knows he can get, get coffee in the building. And we, he's come a few times and, he, and was, uh, then Rhiannon pulls in and, and the, they don't let him in at the moment and he leaves. And when I get there, he's standing on the parking lot and I've seen him before and I've talked to him but I don't really know him. So I just went over to him, started talking to him, got his name, found out where he stays. And I said, you come on in, man, everything's fine. And he came in, he sat through my class, and I said, I want, I want all your, I want your name, everything about you, I want your sizes of clothes you wear, I'm going to bring you some food, and I'm going to bring you some clothes tomorrow, Monday night, I'm going to bring it to you. And um, I don't want anything in return, I'm just going to bring it to you. So he gave me the information. He gave me a phone number. I call the phone number Monday, and I leave a voicemail. A guy calls me back Monday night and says, who are you? I don't know. I'm not this guy you're looking for. Well, I thought he'd give me a bogus number. I had transposed the number. I know you find that hard to believe. So I said, man, how do, I don't even know how to get a hold of him now. He gave me this bogus number. So Monday afternoon, he shows up at the church in Arlington. I was here, and he comes to Arlington looking for me because I told him I was going to get him some clothes and food Monday. And they said, well, Randy's not here. And so I said, okay, when he, and he left. I said, when he comes back tomorrow, get his phone number. He texts me. And I called him, and, and I met him Tuesday night. I took him some clothes, took him some food, and a guy had given me some money. He said, I want you to give it to this young man. I gave him the money. And he's looking at me, staring at me, and he's like, why are you doing this? I said, because Jesus loves you. And I love you, and we love you. I just want to do this for you. I never said, if you died tonight, are you going to go to heaven? I didn't go through the four spiritual laws with him. I just loved on him a little bit. Now, do I plan to share the gospel with him? I absolutely do. It's kind of funny how God does things. Sometimes you start feeling down like you're not important. You're not doing everything God wants you to do. And I, I was kind of there after a meeting that he had this week. And Mary and I were driving home, and it was late, and I was tired. And I, she said, I don't think we got enough milk for coffee in the morning. I said, okay, I'll drop you off at the door. You run in Kroger, and she get it. you get it. She goes, no, you're not listening. You're going, you're going to run in Kroger and get some milk. But she didn't do that. I, I said, well, go to Kroger, and I'll run in, and I'll get some milk. It's late. It's when, you know when you go to Kroger, and only one door is open? It's that late. So, so I go into Kroger. I'm walking back to the milk aisle. Guess who I ran into? That young man is working at Kroger now. So we stood there in the Kroger aisle and talked for a little while, and 
He's telling me all about his plans and what he's going to do. And the last thing he said to me before I left him, he said, is it okay if I give you a hug? And I said, no, man, you're too dirty. You can't give me a hug. <laughs> and we stand there and, 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 and just hugging each other. Now, I can call him anytime I want to now, and he's going to take that call, isn't he? Because he knows what? This guy don't want anything from me. He's loved me. That's what people need. That's how people need to be impacted. Now, again, not because Randy's some icon. Just simple. People who know you need to know you care about them. Amen. Maybe they're total str- He was a total stranger to me. I've seen him a few times around in the hood out there. But I didn't know his name until last Sunday. Now I know where he stays. I know his name. I know what his plans are for his life. And we're going to talk on a regular basis. And in that conversation, I'm going to share the gospel with him. Because now I've earned the right to do that. Just by loving him a little bit. Just by being, being sensitive and loving. Now, can I do that for everybody? No. But God said, you do it for this young man. So I did. Doesn't mean you have to go out and adopt somebody off the streets today. What it does mean is that you got to just be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit says to you. Just do it. And it, it, maybe, maybe it's somebody in your family that just needs, on a regular basis, needs to say, you don't just go to church. It's part Jesus Christ is your Lord. He owns you. You want people to know who he is. So Paul says, you, you walk fully pleasing God. And look how he amplifies it because a few minutes and we're done. He, he says, verse 10, fruitful in the work of God. Real simple. Verse 11 and 12, he tells you what that means. Look at verse 11. Strengthen with all might according to his glorious power for patience and long suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who's qualified us, I love that word, to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Fruitful in the work of God, the Holy Spirit working in you, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience. He's saying, if you want to walk worthy and you're fruitful, you want to have patience, you want to have long-suffering, ones with circumstances, ones with people, You've got to be in the Word. You've got to be growing. You've got to be in the knowledge of God's will. You've got to be walking worthy. That great passage that says you're saved by, for by grace you've been saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. That's the idea of being qualified. I'm saved by my faith in Jesus Christ because he did the work, not me. But that passage in Ephesians ends with this phrase. We are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus, or born again in Christ, on two good works. In other words, if you're a Christian, Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. If you're a Christian, you're born again, you're a Christ follower, whatever term you want to use, you were saved, redeemed, reconciled to God, born again, to do Christ-like works. No other reason. If that were not true, God would have saved you and said, come on home right now. But he has something for you to do. And he left you here to do it. 
He saved me almost 53 years ago. Do I know how much longer he's going to leave me on the planet? No. But I do know this. For me to live, it's Christ. That's it. And it's a privilege. Think about it this way. As a Christian, like with the young man that I spent the time with this week. You know what the highlight of my week was? Having that young man ask me, can I give you a hug? But I didn't really do anything special. When you feel the most worthy as a believer is when you're doing something for someone else. Like our, whether it's our help group or eternal bread or whatever you might, ministry you might be doing. Sitting down with children and just loving on them, whatever it is. You know why that's the case? Because that's what Jesus did. He only he said, I, I came for two reasons. Remember in the Gospel of Mark. What were they? I came to serve and to die. That's it. He did them real well, didn't he? And you reverse those, and that's what a Christian is. I serve because I die to self. I die to self and then I serve. That's what a Christian is. By definition, the word Christian means you're a little Christ. That's what it means in Greek. You're a little Christ. People need to see. If you read the, the, the writings of the Apostle Paul, go through his epistles. Great little Bible study. Go through the epistles of Paul, nothing else. And look for this phrase, in Christ. Christ in you. In Christ. And make you a list of what he says. It will blow you away. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have uh, uh, passed away. All things have become new. Christ in you, the hope of glory. On and on. Just the writings of Paul. He got it. Because Paul came out of a legalistic, cold-blooded, I hate Jesus situation. And man, he was changed. But he still struggled with sin. Don't you love that? You know why I love that? Because that's me. I was changed. But I still struggle with sin. Because you're not perfect. He's the only one that was perfect. All right, let's wrap this up. So you're fruitful by doing he what he wants you to do. And that's number two on your hand. Now we just talked about it. The power to do that. This gratitude. You're strengthened with all might. That great power. For patience and long-suffering to do what you have to do. And finally, verse 13. That's third point. Who are, who are these partakers? Verse 13. God has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of his son, of the son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. That's Christmas. God's gift to us was redemption. That baby in the manger came to die on the cross and rise from the dead so that I could be forgiven. That's it. That's why I'm so excited about fellow believers because of what we share. We're qualified. It's a privilege. He says, you're in. We're justified by grace. He, Titus 3 says, justified by grace, we are heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Delivered, set free. Point three on your handout. That focus, who we are, 
You pick up on who Jesus is, and you can read about who he is in verses 15 through 18. Creator, sustainer of life. He's our Savior. That's why we're grateful for what we share in common. Fellowship. Let's pray. Father, we pause before you again as our God, who has given us, through Jesus Christ, everything we would ever need. Does it mean life is always easy? No, it means the exact opposite. Life will be hard because we live in a sin culture, a cursed culture, because Satan doesn't want us to have an easy life. Things will be difficult physically, emotionally, mentally. It's going to be hard. But Christ is in me, and I have the hope of glory. What a great passage, how we pray for each other, to be right in the center of God's will. I pray that for everybody here, for everybody watching, for all people think about Matt and Star Arnold in, in the Borigami and believers all over the world. Things are tough. But we thank you, Father, that eternally we are secure in Jesus Christ. The message of Christmas. We pray in his name. Amen. You please stand as we